0: Thanks for joining us on this week's special episode where we watch and discuss the Born Identity and wrap up our conversation about the 75th Academy Awards. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey.
1: Let's find out if the Oscars got it wrong. Part three, a surprise part three. Yep.
0: Of 2002,
1: also known as our
0: discussion of The Born Identity. So
1: strap in. Let's get into it. So, what's The Born Identity? I guess we should start with. So, The Born Identity is an action
0: film about a hitman who's lost his memory. Stars mm-hmm. Matt Damon, Franca Potente, and Chris Cooper. Directed by Doug Lyman. Written by Tony Gilroy and William Blake Herron and somehow nominated for zero Academy Awards. Despite the fact that unlike Chicago, this film actually did change its genre of filmmaking.
1: Yeah, we are here today to talk about how we like this movie and all the fun stuff from it. But really, I would like to give you my TED Talk, basically. (laughs) about how this movie changed cinema none of these other movies did it this movie did it every movie that you have watched with any action in it from 2002 to today has been influenced by this movie but i guess we should start with the like what what happens in the movie. sure
0: jason bourne well we see a man in the ocean a man he gets rescued by some fishermen which honestly from our history of watching films is like a great
1: scenario That always works out. If you're going to be in the ocean, get yourself rescued by some fishermen. They're lovely. You'll have
0: to help them fish, but it'll be good. He's unconscious. This fisherman opens up his wetsuit. He's got some bullets in him. He's got a little tracker Uh thing that has the bank information. And it's pretty weird. And then, you know, our guy wakes up and he's like, where am I? And the guy's like, calm down. And so we learn that this guy has lost his memory. But we got this bank information. So, hey, once we get to shore give you a little bit of cash because I'm a fisherman so I'm like the best guy and you can go to Switzerland to figure this out. Mm -hmm. He makes his way up to Switzerland. He goes to the bank and then the mystery starts to unravel. He still doesn't have his memory. We learn that the CIA was trying to kill someone and he's going on this track where he's trying to find out who he is. The CIA is going on this track where they're trying to find him because it is then revealed that he is a government assassin who tried to kill this deposed former African leader, but he failed. And so they need to clean up this mess because it's a real mess. And Jason meets a woman and they become good friends. Mm -hmm. And she helps him along on his quest. And then it's revealed that he is basically a programmed super weapon the reason he failed to assassinate this guy is because the guy's kids were there and he's that's his kryptonite. He loves kids yeah. and he's able to to go to the CIA and be like, hey, stop following me. And they're like, nah. And he kills a bunch of people and he's like, I'm out of here. And the movie ends with him and his, his girl getting together. And we think, oh, this
1: is a happy ending. He's just going to be with his girl. But what forever. a happy ending. Yeah. And then there are two more movies. Yeah, <laughs> But we don't know that yet. We don't know that yet. Everything ends nice and rosy and yeah. this one. They're just gonna live on what looks like, I don't know, like a Greek island or something and rent motor scooters to people. And it looks like the dream. What a life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the, the overview. But yeah, we're, we're basically gonna wanna talk about like every moment in this movie, so <laughs> we can do that as well. I like the sort of mystery that we begin with. They give you very little information as you're going through and he gives it out in little drips and drabs as it goes on. I assume we're gonna wanna talk about the bench moment, which is the first time that we get any sense that he not just knows things he doesn't know how he knows, but has skills he doesn't know how he learned.
0: (laughs) Yes, so I I wanna take a step back from that. First, sometimes when I watch movies that I've seen a million times before, I have a hard time remembering what I would've been thinking on the first watch through, like when we did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And I was like, oh yeah, the first time you see this, you wouldn't realize their son isn't. Yeah,
1: that's kind of a
0: a whole reveal. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a thing. And similarly, when I was watching it this time, I was trying to think through that. And I think when you first watch it, it plays a little bit like the CIA might be after him. And they are, but like that he was their target. Like they were responsible for shooting him. And so I thought that was interesting to think through. But also they kind of see the bench moment because he has that thing where he's like, I tied the knot. I don't know how I tied the knot. How do I do any of these things I do? And they have that great moment too, where he's talking to himself in the mirror in like five different
1: languages. And you're like, this guy's pretty weird yeah he definitely knows lots of things but he doesn't other than tightening the knots i guess right he doesn't know that his capacities until the bench thing i
0: also love that ship captain because he's freaking out and the ship captain is like
1: it'll come back and he's like it's not coming back damn it it's all it's all coming back and he says it's not coming back god damn it that's the point point." and this is the and thing he's for like it'll him. come back
0: italian fishing boat cat bad you're stressed out
1: don't worry it'll come back it's
0: the boat <laughs> i love that guy he's fabulous So, yes, we get to Switzerland. He doesn't have anywhere to go. He doesn't have any any ID. He's sleeping on a bench. Mm -hmm. And, again, I don't quite remember my experience watching this scene initially, but I have... So much enthusiasm for it. I believe my initial reaction must have just, like, my mind was, like... Was
1: blown. I mean, I was 13 when I first watched it, so I can't remember either. But every time it's leading up to that moment now, you're like, it's happening. The moment's going to happen. Oh,
0: my God. <laughs> okay. So these two cops come up to him, and they're like, you can't sleep on this bench. And he's like, I just... I don't have any... And they're like, where are your papers? He's like, I don't have my... I lost, I lost my, papers. my papers. One of the cops brandishes a baton, and Jason grabs baton, and the look on Matt Damon's face... So interesting. It's like his brain starts calculating. And he both both has this look of like, what am I doing? And yeah. also like, I know exactly what I'm doing.
1: Uh-huh. My body knows what it's doing. And he kicks the shit out of these
0: two cops and also manages to grab one of their guns. Like, seemingly unknowing. Like when he once he has the gun in his hand, he's like, I have a gun now. Yeah. I don't want this gun.
1: No, he takes the gun apart and he drops it on the ground and he runs. And then he
0: runs off and he ditches his coat because he's like, the coat is recognizable. Yep. 13-year-old me was like...
1: But ah, ah, this is the best thing I've ever seen. It's fucking incredible. I mean the the event is fascinating. Matt Damon's performance is so good and the way that they shoot it keeps you in his headspace so well. So they're keeping you on his face for the really important moments and you're getting exactly what you're talking about with.
0: When he grabs the baton, you're just on his face. Yes, that's all you see in the frame.
1: And so he's on this journey of training meets panic. His body kicks in and his brain is like, what the fuck is going on (laughs) the whole way through? So he acts quicker than he can even deal with it. And then as soon as he is done, and this is a recurring thing throughout, oftentimes he'll do something and be like, what did I just do?
0: (laughs) And also often he'll be like, what did I just do? And now I have a gun. I don't want this gun.
1: Yeah. So this is a running thing that happens at least three more times where he has a fight. He ends up with a gun and he's like, "Ooh, I don't want a gun. He takes it apart. he (laughs) He drops it. And he's like, he the lengths to which he goes to not have a gun and not shoot anyone, he doesn't shoot anyone until three quarters of the way through the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think he kills four total people in this movie. And, right. and three of them are in the final scene. So they're like doing such a good job keeping you in his headspace the the what if this was happening to me is a big through line of this movie right he's so relatable because he doesn't know what the fuck's happening and you don't know what the fuck's happening so it's important that his reactions to everything be the same as your reactions and like nobody would be like okay i don't know what's going on with me but i'm ready to start murdering people (laughs) like that is very far from his headspace he's hurting people when they attack him and then he's running the fuck away from the situation (laughs) Yes. And that is sort of how he goes through the first third of this movie. Like, I just had a fight. I don't know why, but I got to get out of here. And so that will will recur as we go through. But the setup in that one scene, which is less than a minute of scene, is so incredibly effective. It's just very well done.
0: I love so much about this movie, but you're absolutely, every time we're getting close to it, every time I rewatch this movie, I'm just like, I'm kidding.
1: So hyped! <laughs> it's gonna happen. The bench is happening. The bench is happening.
0: <laughs> and then I rewind it five times, and I watch it. And I look at Matt Damon's face. And I'm like, "Oh, what's going on?" And then he does it. And then he has the gun. <laughs> uh, it's also good. Okay. Yeah, incredible. So next we go to the secret Swiss bank, and he rolls up. There's this real snooty lady who's like, "Write down your bank number." And of course he knows it because he memorized yeah, it. And so anyway, yeah, he writes it down, and then he goes upstairs, and they have a fingerprint scanner. He scans his hand, and of course, that's telling you, like, no, he's really been here before. He's this guy. Yeah. Right? They set that up. And then they gave him, like, a security box, essentially, and he goes into a little room behind a curtain, and he opens it. And he finds a passport, and it says that he's Jason Bourne. And he goes, oh, Jason, that's my name, Great, Jason I'm Bourne. I'm Jason
1: Bourne, good to know.
0: And there's, like, some stuff in the box, and then he realizes the box has a tray on top, and then there's more stuff below, and he picks up the tray and wow okay there's a gun there's like eight other passports there's a ton of cash and he's like am I Jason Bourne all the passports have his face they do have his face but they all have different names Uh so he's like why do I have all these passports? Why do I have this gun? I don't like guns. Why do I have all this money?
1: I love this. It's such a great moment. And and this now has become such a classic of the genre, the finding the box mm-hmm. with the passports and the gun and the money. Like, at this point, it is a thing that you can use to communicate without words to an audience that someone is a spy, right? Like <laughs> You've seen in other things where you're like, box, passports, money, gun, spy. <laughs> I've got it. But for what him, for him in the moment, he's like, what the hell could this mean? I have no way of understanding what any of this means. I, I, I got to somehow figure this out, though. So he does the Jason Bourne thing, and he gets the hell out of there, right? He takes yeah. the money, he takes the passports, he leaves the gun. <laughs> he wants no part of the gun, and he leaves. And so someone there is working for the CIA, and so they call and are like, he just came to the bank, and now the CIA is aware. They're on his tail. Yes. They know that he's in Switzerland.
0: The Swiss police are also just already looking for him, right? Because he beat up those two cops, cops, or it's sort of like a convergence. But he's walking the streets. He's got his bag. Love the design of this because everyone's in neutrals. It's very neutral. And the bag is bright red, yep. which is Luckily, know, very this helpful. bank
1: has the most expensive trash bags of all time. And it's like a canvas bag that he could carry around right. <laughs> with him. I've always wondered, like,
0: is it intended that that is something that you could take out? Or did he just take the trash bag? I don't really know. Anyway, I've never been to a secret Swiss bank. Nope. So yes, he he leaves and he spots that people are after him. He instinctually is like, these cops are following me. These cops are looking at me. And he does a very smart thing. And he takes his U.S. passport that he's just got. And he ducks into the embassy. And the embassy workers were like, you can't come in here. This is U.S. soil. So now he's in the embassy. Yep. And we see a woman in the embassy who we learn is having a hard time. She's lost her apartment. She's trying to get a visa. She's been given the runaround by the U.S. officials, because paperwork is always garbage. And so he's in the embassy. Of course, again, the CIA has been notified, so very quickly someone's like,
1: hey, you, stop. With the red bag. guy with the red bag. Stop. And so he does. He stops. And then these people have pulled guns on him, and sort of without his own knowledge again, he kicks their asses. (laughs) He can't help it. When people attack him, his training takes over. (laughs) So... He these gets these three guys onto the floor in front of him. He's taking one of their guns again. There he is standing with a gun, like oh doesn't no. want it. How did I get this gun? And then he sees the whole embassy is converging, so he's like, all right, I gotta get out of here. He ducks into a stairwell, ditches the gun. He throws it in a <laughs> into the trash. So he has abandoned three guns at this point. We're like twenty five mm-hmm. minutes into this movie. They're telling you without any hesitation, this man does not want any guns. So, the bench is when we learn he has special fighting skills. This scene is when we learn he is a different kind of action hero. He is thinking this shit through in a way that you don't see on screen most of the time. So, he's in the stairwell, he's like, how do I get away from these people? He has hit another of the guards and pushed him down the stairs. And so he goes back and he grabs the guards' radio because he knows that they're all communicating with each other about where he is in the building, and he wants to know Mm -hmm. that as well. Then he sees on the wall a fire escape map, and he's like, hey, it might help me to know what the layout of this building is. So he grabs that off the wall, too. (laughs) And you're like, excuse me? He's looking at a map? He's put the
0: earpiece in from the walkie-talkie. He's got the map. He's just calmly, like walking with purpose through the building as everyone's closing their doors. And you're just Mm -hmm. like,
1: oh, my God, this guy. (laughs) This guy. (laughs) Who is this? Right? There's a lot of like, who is he? Because it's just like fucking cool as shit. How many times have you seen an action star be somewhere you know they've never been before and they've just very confidently evade people chasing them because they happen to know how the building is laid out? (laughs) Like It happens all the time. But instead, he's got the map, he finds the escape routes, he knows exactly where the emergency exit is on the top floor, so he goes directly there, he breaks the lock on the door, and then he hangs back up the fire extinguisher that he used <laughs> to break the lock, and he goes out through this door onto a fire escape where the ladder does not go all the way down to the ground. Probably by letting code. Yeah. And so then he knows they're on his tail, and he's thinking, like, how do I make them not See me, basically, because he's not trying to have any kind of fight. So he ends up trying to climb up, and then the shitty metal thing he's on almost breaks. And so he has to go down and like hide underneath basically the platform. And Mm -hmm. while they open the door, they come look out and they're like, well, I don't see him. (laughs) So they go back in, and then he very quietly and calmly climbs down the wall of the building to where he has dropped his bag. Picks up his bag, and just walks away. (laughs) So fucking cool.
0: And then he runs into the lady we met in the embassy. He knows she is hard up. He offers her $20,000 to drive him to Paris. Mm -hmm. And initially, she reasonably is like,
1: That seems suspicious.
0: No, thank you. But he gives her ten grand, and she really needs the money, and so she agrees, and she starts driving him to Paris. He
1: does the smart sales thing of putting the money in her hand, right? And yes. Then she, ten grand she's, now,
0: ten grand later.
1: See, he throws her the money; she's holding it, and then she's like, "I really don't think it's a good idea." Clearly, you're in a lot of trouble. And he's like, "Okay, can I have my money back?" And that's when she's like, "Well, but I, I already am holding the
0: ten thousand dollars." <laughs> So, yeah, she starts driving him to Paris. I don't have good notes about how when we're intercutting back to Chris Cooper. I don't know if we want to go through Jason's story and then talk about. So,
1: yeah, what's com- what's happening with the CIA guys is we are occasionally revisiting them. Anytime Jason's caught on camera, basically, they have new information about him. And so there's a whole team of people back at the CIA who are tracking him. And they're doing their 2002 version of using their computers <laughs> to try to track this enhance. guy down enhance and so they're using information from interpol and the embassies and blah 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 to try to get a read on where he is meanwhile brian cox who is this higher level bureaucrat from the cia and is chris cooper's boss is getting some heat because the guy that they failed at killing is in the news saying the cia tried to kill me and they failed at it and they're getting a lot of bad press and so the bosses are like we didn't actually do this right somebody figure out what the hell's going on so he's breathing down chris cooper's neck chris cooper is like well we think he's a rogue agent i guess <laughs> we're, we're figuring it out we're, we're tracking him down in 24 hours don't worry brian don't, it's are we're, we're on it you don't even need to worry about it brian cox so it's just a lot of like you know we're tracking him we're tracking him my boss is yelling at me that's what's going on and in I, like I
0: think that. it's Worthwhile context that this guy that they tried to assassinate is someone that the CIA had propped up before. He used to be the dictator of this country. Yeah. The CIA was supporting him. Mm-hmm. And Classic now American he's government out of thing office. to do. And what he wants is the CIA to put him back in office. And he sees this as leverage to get the CIA to do that. So there's some like ongoing stuff with this one Bosie character and Chris Cooper. But what also happens is once Brian Cox is like, So is this happening? Chris Cooper is like, No, we're good. Is they activate a bunch of their other
1: the other Treadstone agents Treadstone is the name of the program so they're like I want everybody up all the Treadstone agents send them all after Jason Bournes this is the activating threat Mm -hmm. of the the movie for him so we've got all these other hymns that are chasing him down right
0: so we're driving to Paris there's some really nice bonding moments between the two of them so
1: well written that you get little moments that tell you so much
0: yes we get to learn more about their characters she has this part where she's talking nonstop. she's like i talk a lot when i'm nervous and he reveals i have these headaches and that's gonna come back and you know you talking helps and then they like go to a diner at one point and he's like i just know all this information and i don't know how i know it i know that the waitress is left handed i know that that guy weighs 215 pounds that can handle himself i know that the best place to look for a gun is in the cab of the gray car i know all the license plate numbers like why do I know this? He shows her all his passports. He's like, who would have this? And she's like, I don't know, man.
1: Yeah, well, because he does tell her that he is, is, you know, has amnesia, and at first she's like, sure, whatever, buddy. So he's still, like, trying to convince her of it. And she's trying to tell him, well, okay, you don't know who you are, but, like, there could be a reasonable explanation for it, right? She's trying to say to him, "Well, you got shot, and people's bodies do all kinds of crazy stuff when they get shot. Maybe it's fine." <laughs> he's like, yeah, "It's not it. fine. There's something wrong with me. <laughs> I know too much." <laughs> so yeah, yes. he's you are using these scenes to bond with them and also to learn about what's going on with him and what his various right training. And we're is. learning about
0: her as well. So mm-hmm. they make it to Paris. They've sort of bonded. He is like, well, I don't recognize anything around here, but I, I guess I'll I'll go up. And I love this little bit of dialogue where she's like, don't forget me. And he says, how could I forget you? You're the only person I know. And he's just
1: like, I mean, oh. that's the moment where you're like, oh, she she's in now. Like, she's not leaving him. <laughs> the face Aww. that she makes when he says that, she's like, oh, I guess, yeah, so. little, little <laughs> And so it's like, she's in at this point. And then the two yes. of them go to his apartment, which is why they have come to Paris. Right.
0: And there's also a great little moment of levity when they're trying to get into his apartment because he's ringing in the doorbell. And she's like, I guess you're not home. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> she makes little jokes. She's very charming in this. Yeah, she's, she's great. He's just so charming.
0: But his landlady lets him in. And she's like, oh, where have you been? You've been gone for two weeks. I've been worried about you. I didn't go in and clean. Don't worry about it. And so they go up together. She's asked to use the bathroom. He's trying to figure out information. He finds out that he's maybe in shipping. He thinks there's a bunch of stuff there's about There's a stuff about
1: shipping, yeah,
0: all over his apartment. And she has to take a shower, and while she's in the shower, he gets a little tingle that
1: his spidey senses. Well, first he makes a phone call to a yes. hotel. Right. And asks whether or not Jason Bourne stays there. And they're like, no, we don't have a Jason Bourne. And then he's like, wait, wait, wait. Let me check on someone else. He dumps out his bag and finds the other American passport. And he's yeah. like, what about John Michael Kane? Did you have a John Michael Kane staying there? And they're and like, sorry, he's dead. He's dead. We do apologize. We, did, we
0: hate to tell you that. It's a hotel. <laughs> yeah. And that is when he has his tingle. <laughs> and so, yeah, he goes into the kitchen. He grabs a knife. He's like, oh, yeah, I can't get the water hot in here either. And then he comes back and she's stepped out of the bathroom and he drops the knife. And he's like, everything's fine. And then a guy fucking bursts through the window with a machine gun. The first guy who gets to Jason is the least subtle assassin of the crew.
1: (laughs) I know. You're like, this guy's Treadstone? How could that be? (laughs)
0: Maybe his version 1.0 or something went wrong. I don't know. He's not not finessing the situation.
1: But then they have a crazy fucking fight this fighting yeah. style is when you really start to see the influence of this movie on every other action movie you've seen since then because the way that they fight each other feels different the way it's, it's very is,
0: tactile
1: yes it's sort of like close range hand to hand and every hit the way they're doing the sound design feels so visceral and they're also just like or Jason is cuz he didn't come prepared using whatever's around, right? The idea of, well, I'm in this environment. I need weapons. I have no weapons. And so he ends up at his desk. He reaches behind him. He grabs a pen off the desk that happens to be there because in a stroke of genius filmmaking, they had him dump his bag out earlier to make the phone call. It's just so incredibly well-structured. And so, yeah, he stabs the guy in the hand with the pen. (laughs) It's like so just... Between the fingers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In the back of his hand, parallel to his hand, <laughs> it's, it's like a Wolverine claw, right? Like it's yeah. sticking out, like it's a Wolverine claw. <laughs> the guy's also an incredible fighter. It's crazy, violent, yeah. and Jason is like, breaking all of his joints and shit. Like it's it's crazy. At one point, the guy stands up and just nonchalantly pulls the pen out of his hand, and you're like, "What's going well, on? <laughs> like, this guy we're is all so like, intense. What's going on?" But anyway, Jason
0: wins the fight, right? And he's like, what's going on? Who are you? Who am I? And then the guy just jumps out of a window and kills himself. And again, again, getting are the realism.
1: What the fuck's going on?
0: Yeah. But getting to the realism, Franco Batanda has a real reaction to this. She starts freaking out. So many times in movies, crazy shit happens. And people are just like, well, then let's keep moving on. And you're like, you would panic.
1: That was some crazy shit you just witnessed. Yeah.
0: Yes. So she has like one of the first moments being like, wait, I don't want to be here. This seems bad. No, thank you. And then they go downstairs and that poor
1: landlady got shot in the head. Yeah. Um, So they're they're using this moment to illustrate her freaking out, but in contrast to him not freaking out. Like as soon as the guy jumps out the window, Jason's reaction is he looks at his watch and he's like, "Okay, we got to get out of here. He starts packing up and he's like, put on your shoes. And she is nonverbal with shock because of this. And so he at this point does stop and say like. Okay, if you don't want to come, that's fine. I got to get out of here, but you're welcome to stay and wait for the police if you want to. Right. But she can't handle that at all. So he's like, all right, I, no. g- I guess we're going. <laughs> and then, But like yes. to the
0: extent to which she's freaking out, she's like, she vomits as she's passing
1: the dead landlady. Well, they landlady, see the dead like, landlady and you're like, oh You're no. like, she's... Uh, Even Jason looks kind of like, oh shit, the landlady. Well, you feel bad. That lady didn't do anything. No. But yeah, so that's another escalation on top of the previous escalations of they're really coming for you. They see from his bag that he has pictures of the both of them. That's part of what freaks her out so much.
0: Right. Because the photos were taken from inside the embassy, the,
1: the wanted photos. And she's like, who could do this?
0: Why do they have my photo? Does? Why do they have
1: my photo? The U.S. government could do it. That's who. So yeah, again, another moment where they are tied to each other and a bonding mm-hmm. moment and a oh, we're freaking out moment. And so they leave. And then to cut back briefly to the U.S. side of things, we find out that Julia Stiles is the woman that runs the Paris arm of the CIA stuff. Office. And so Chris Cooper is like, you got to go clean up that Jason murdered this guy. And she's like, he's in the streets of Paris. <laughs> like, this there are Paris? <laughs> there are police. <laughs> There's a body in the street. I can't do that. And so it, they're trying to hush it up, but they are having a lot of trouble hushing up this whole situation. It just gets bigger all the time.
0: So they leave. They decide that they're going to stick together for now. I think this is when they have that car chase where Jason's driving they, in the car. Well, right? first
1: they go to the train station, which is a really important oh, right. yes. moment for their relationship. So this crazy shit has happened. They go drive off in her car, stop at a train station. And Jason's like, OK, I'm going to go into the train station and find a place to hide my bag and I'll come right back. But that's not really what he's planning to do, right? Like This wild thing just happened. He leaves the keys in the car. She's sitting in the car in shock. He walks into the train station, clearly planning to just buy a ticket and get the hell out of there and and leave her alone so that she doesn't get trapped in this. But he can't do it right she's the only person he knows in the world (laughs) and so he hides the money he comes back out she has left the car because she also saw he left the keys and was like oh he's probably not coming back so she went to buy some liquor because she just went through a whole experience yeah and he he comes back and he's like what the hell are you doing why are you out of the car and she's like i didn't think you were coming back anyway so they have another moment of reaffirming he's like i will give you my passports you will go to the police you will tell them everything that happened you will be fine I will run. And she's like, well, but who knows if I'll be fine? Everything's so fucked up. Like, how can you abandon me? And he's like, I don't want you to go to the police. That doesn't help me. And so they decide, you know what? If you need to stay here, figure shit out. I will stay with you. We will figure it out. And they're like tied to each other again. Mm -hmm. And then he sees a cop walking toward them and it sets off just the greatest car chase.
0: Well, it's also, again, this great moment of him turning on where they get back in the car. He's in the driver's seat and he's immediately like, you take care of this car, and she's like, "What are you talking about?" He's like,
1: "The tires are a little splashy," and you're like, "He's been noticing <laughs> the, tiles, the tires. The tires felt a little splashy on the way over." And so then, yeah, he again before they begin the chase, he reaches into the back seat, pulls out a map of Paris, <laughs> looks at the streets where they are, decides what his best path of egress is, and then he's like, "All right, we're doing this." The cops get close enough to them, he pulls backwards in her red fucked up old mini cooper which feels like a hilarious opposite of every car that's in every other action movie and also it's, it's so funny in light of like
0: the most recent bond movie bond had an invisible car
1: yeah so this is like this the, is the anti-invisible car yeah. <laughs> the lowest possible tech the least nice the least expensive this tiny little sad mini cooper yeah <laughs> I always think it must be a reference to the Italian job too but I, yeah I don't, probably um, so yeah they they have the chase It's an incredibly well shot great car chase. They get away. they pull mm-hmm. into a parking garage somewhere. they sit in silence for like a full 30 seconds <laughs> just yeah. dealing with what just happened <laughs> and he's like, we can never come back to this car.
0: <laughs> I'll wipe it out and you're like is this the moment where she decides that she's gonna sleep with him? Maybe. Probably.
1: A, <laughs> I think a lot of the appeal of him in this is how hyper-competent he is, right? So like, competent. everything that he does is so competent, I think. It's he's not so that he's, like, competent. violent and can kill no. people. It's the way he handled the Mini Cooper in the car chase. You're like, okay. He's
0: yeah. competent. <laughs> and also he's, you know, thinking of her. There's a part in the this, this scene where he's like, cover your
1: face, cover your face, cover your face. He's
0: like, you know,
1: mm-hmm. All along, he's been considering her, right? Like when he's taking her out, he's trying to get her to not look at the landlord. And then when there are the people outside taking pictures, that's when he's like, cover your face. And so he is thinking of her presence the whole way through. And then when they've parked the car, he's like, all right, we can't come back here. We're going to wipe it down. We're going to leave everything. Do you have a scarf or a hat? And she's like, oh, for my hair? And he's like, yeah, just until we can change it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: And then we go to the hotel and he cuts her hair in a very tender romantic scene
1: it's a you know cutting dyeing and washing hair has never been so sensual yeah but yeah they he he cuts her hair he does a great job it's He's a beautiful haircut, haircut. <laughs> You wouldn't expect it because then he starts he just starts hacking off bits of her hair and then it's an adorable haircut and you're His like competencies
0: wow. extend to hairdressing
1: <laughs> he has so many competencies and then he gives her a great haircut and she's like It's going down. Like she keeps getting in his way in the bathroom to try to get him to kiss her. And he's like, I I have to pick that up. Like he's not picking up what she's putting down at all. Mm -mm. (laughs) And then finally she kisses him a little. And then he takes a second and he's like, thinking about it. How do we feel about this? (laughs) And then he's like, All right, yeah, feel good." good.
0: Okay. So I think this is the time, too, where there's a slight misdirect. Is this when the assassin kills Wambosi?
1: Yeah, so we've seen Clive Owen get activated. And so mm-hmm. we assume all these people are coming for him, right? But yeah. then, I don't know if it happens exactly at this moment, but around this time, Clive Owen was actually sent there to take out Wambosi. So yeah. they he shoots him in a not particularly subtle way. Yeah. <laughs> he shoots him through a window from outside of his house. Chris Cooper, we should say, is doing a bad job. Things well, have gotten no- messy, and he's not... That is that is definitely true, but I think in this case he's not trying to make it subtle because he's trying to pin this on, Jason, on Jason Bourne and say yes. that Jason is just cleaning up his loose ends and now he'll come in. This is when he tells Brian Cox, Don't worry. He took care of the job and now he'll come in. That scene is so funny because Brian Cox is like, Well, how long
0: does it take? And he looks at his little assistant and his assistant's like, Twenty four to forty eight hours and Chris Cooper's just like I mean, I'm I'm making a face, you can't see me. He's like looks into his coffee like, I guess that's what we're doing. <laughs> I wish you would spend more time, little assistant.
1: Why man. didn't you say I don't know a week, <laughs> a week to ten days? <laughs> they usually go on a vacation after their missions, and then they yeah, come they gotta back. decompress. <laughs>
0: so,
1: so he's like, I guess we have twenty-four to forty-eight hours. Okay, thanks, guy. So now we have uh, a little moment of Bourne and Marie in mm-hmm. Paris. So they're like, we're gonna do some investigating while we're in yeah. Paris instead of running. he still doesn't know who he is, right? We know John Michael Caine stayed at this hotel, so maybe we can get some information from them. Let's run a little spy heist on this hotel.
0: He gives her such elaborate instructions on how to get into this hotel to get, they need like a copy of his receipt.
1: Yes, they need his bill from the hotel, and he's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And he gives her, like, if this is a commentary, I think, on the genre, but he gives her the most convoluted instructions of, you're going to walk in, you're going to take this many steps, you're going to look around and count the people in the room, I'm going to call on the lobby phone, you're going to let it ring three times, and then you're going to pick it up. And we're going to like, all of these things. I need to know how many people are in
0: there, where they're located, blah, 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 blah. And then he's calling on the phone, and she's not picking up. He's like, what's going on? And then she shows up at the pay phone. He's like, what went wrong? What what happened? And she's like, I asked him for the bill, and he gave me a photocopy. I said I was your assistant.
1: Yeah, she's like, the guy at the desk was smiling at me, so I thought, you know, all this trouble, why don't I just ask? (laughs) So she pretended to be the assistant, he gave it to her, and this blows Jason's mind. He's like, good thinking, like this never would have occurred to him. At all. Good thing. She has this emotional intelligence that is not at all a part of his training. He would never walk into a room, see someone smile at him and be like, oh, I bet I could get them to do me a favor. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. So he gets the phone records from his room. He starts calling all the places John Michael Caine called. And so he hits on one shipping yacht place in Paris. And he's like, I got a lead. We're going to go. And then he shows up at the place. They recognize him as John Michael Caine. He has a whole meeting with them. They're like, okay, are you ready to buy the yacht that we were talking about? And meanwhile, she calls around. They have a meeting after. She's called the morgue. The morgue okay. has John Michael Caine's body. Well, it's important, too, that the yacht
0: he sees, like, Wombosi is on the brochure for the model of yacht he had been looking
1: at. And he's like,
0: okay. Okay.
1: I always think that's fascinating that a yacht company would be like, this is a good yacht because this dictator owns one. That is how you sell a yacht. I, I'm not surprised by it at all. I just think it's funny. That it seemed true to life to me. Yeah. Don't you want the yacht that a dictator would own? Why, a brutal yes, as a former dictator? It's yes, a good yacht. the exact model that I want. <laughs> So anyway, he's come out of this meeting. She says they have their body at the morgue. So they go to the morgue to find out who this is that they have the body of. And while they're at the morgue, the body has gone. We had already seen Wambosi go to the morgue earlier and say, this is not the guy that killed me, because he doesn't have bullet holes in his back. Well, not
0: the guy who tried to kill me.
1: Well, sorry, not the guy that I shot, really, is yes. what he's saying. So they go to the morgue, there's nobody, he takes the records of who has been to the morgue, and he sees Wombosi's name on the records. And then he mm-hmm. knows, I have Wombosi's name on the yacht paperwork, I have Wombosi's name in the records, I bet this guy knows something about me. Yes. So they
0: go to find Wombosi, but Clive Owen has killed him, so he's dead.
1: Yeah. I always think it's so interesting. Like, what is your plan here? It feels like he's ready to just knock on the guy's door and be like, you're Wombosi. Do you know who I am? Who am I? (laughs) And Wombosi would have just, like, had him murdered immediately. But anyway, he can't. He can't do it because Wombosi is dead. And so they're like, "Okay, I don't think there's anything else for us to learn in Paris. So let's get the hell out of here. We got to go somewhere. Meanwhile, the CIA has been learning everything they can about her and cross-referencing every phone call that her brother-in-law and her or her half-brother or whatever and her mother ever made to the same place in case it was a place that she was living. They're like doing a deep dive on her and figuring out everywhere she's ever lived in the last decade. And so uh, it so happens that they have hit on one of the spots that they decide to go to. (laughs) They go to
0: a a country home of her half-brother and they think he's not going to be there and they get into the house they haven't seen each other
1: in a long time and she just shows up at his house out of nowhere and he's not and then he
0: shows up with his two small children and he's like okay you guys can stay the night it's fine and thank goodness my wife isn't here yeah and so they do stay the night There's a moment where Jason is watching the children sleep, which is
1: pretty creepy. It is creepy. She's like, you got to get out of here. What if the kids wake up? And he's like, I just wanted to make sure they were okay. I was wondering they weren't sleeping. She is like reconsidering their relationship at this point because I guess we should say while they were in Paris, they did, once Wombosi got killed, they did read articles about Wombosi and figure out pretty explicitly that Jason Bourne is an assassin yeah, <laughs> who tried to kill Wambosi Because Wambosi gives the detailed description of like, someone was on my boat. They tried to kill me. They ran away. I shot them twice in the back and then they fell into the Mediterranean. <laughs> and Jason's like, oh, this is definitely Sounds me. It's like me. <laughs> So she, once she's confronted with the idea that he is definitely an assassin, she's like, I'm okay, I'm still thinking about whether or not I want to be in a relationship with you. And that's when he's like, okay, I'll take you wherever we want to go and I'll leave you there. So then in the middle of the night, Jason's watching the kids and he's like, I have decided I don't want to know who I was. Everything I learn about myself, I don't like. I'm happy to just know nothing. What if we just take the money I have and the two of us can run away together? Can we do that? And she's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I'll think about it. Okay. But then they sleep. Yes. Then they wake up the
0: next morning. They're like, we're leaving. And the guy is like, wow, actually one night. And he's eating breakfast. And then the kids come in and they're like, we can't find him And they're like, who can't you find? And it's the dog.
1: The and dog's um, missing.
0: And he's like, is the dog often missing? And they're like, never. Never. Not for breakfast. And he's like, get in the basement. <laughs> Everyone needs to get in the he basement. He does.
1: His like, training kicks in it again and he gets a little bit taller. And he's yeah. like, everybody go to the basement. <laughs> You're like,
0: and, oh no! And the the guy's like, what? And Marie is like, everyone should probably. Yeah, go everybody to the has basin. to go to the base. Sorry, we're really sorry. And she's like, if anything happens to these kids, and he's like, they nothing will happen to these children. It's
1: Not gonna happen. And you're like, hell yeah, Jason. He will not let anything happen to these children. But he also, in the meantime, is showing you more of his skills. Right, like he's looking around for weapons. He finds shotgun shells in a drawer, and he's like, oh, if there are shells, there must be shotguns. So he looks around, and in like half a second, he's like, this is where they will be hiding the shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. Him immediately where it is but anyway then yes she goes she hides in the basement jason goes outside he blows up a car so that there's smoke so a sniper He blows won't be up able their to...
0: oil tank which actually really oh yeah sorry you're for right
1: them. It, is. It, it does but they're probably not gonna be able to come back here for a while anyway yeah. he blows up their oil tank there's a huge cloud of smoke so the sniper can't see him and the sniper that is here is clive owen so
0: they're in a field he's yep. running through the field Clive Owen, of course, was the person who sniped on Bosey His specialty clearly is sniping. Sniping. Jason shoots in the air to make birds fly to sort of distract him. He ends up managing to shoot and disarm Clive Owen. And then they have
1: this moment. The most heartbreaking conversation. So sad. Clive Owen has like four lines in this movie. And they're so, so effective. Oh, Clive my Owen, God. Clive Owen should have been nominated for Best
0: Supporting Actor.
1: <laughs> for that one scene he's that good before. in the scene it has happened before and he deserved it because it is the most heartbreaking death of an assassin that you've never met before yeah. jason was like who are you? are you
0: what do you know what are you trying to do and clive owen just has this conversation with
1: like they do this to us do you get the headaches well yeah the first thing he says to him i think and when he starts interrogating him is do you get the headaches I get such bad headaches. And Jason's like, yeah. And then he starts asking him about like Treadstone. What the fuck is this? What are you talking about? And he's saying, oh, at night when you're driving, it's just so like all he's thinking about is these headaches. And then Jason's trying to ask him about this. And he's saying, Jason's like, how many other people are here? And he's like, I work alone. Like you always work alone. And, and like, they're so low He's building this character in three lines of dialogue. And then, yeah, at the end, when he succumbs to his bullet wounds, he says, look at what they make you give. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God. Oh my, God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my heart is broken.
0: But even like earlier on, the fact that his, you know, he's been shot and his immediate thing is like, I can't talk to anyone about my life or my experiences. I'm finally meeting someone who knows what I've been going through. I just need to know if he also gets The, the headaches.
1: The first thing he thinks of is, I've got to connect with him about the headaches. Does everybody get these headaches? Because you get this strong sense that, like, they don't get to interact with each other. Their lives are entirely solitary. And so to meet another Treadstone person is a wild experience for him. And he's like this is my opportunity. Do you yep. get the headaches? <laughs> so it's like Jason's like, yeah, I do get the headaches. Yeah. But for that to be the first thing he thinks of, I there's just so much in so little space here of the lives that they've been living and like yeah. what Jason's life would have been like before this and what this guy's life is like. And it's just fucking devastating. It's yeah. just incredibly good.
0: Ugh. Mark Clive Owen.
1: I mean, what the hell? Like, why, why, why is that so good? But damn, so he dies and it's like the saddest yeah. thing ever.
0: Yeah,
1: that scene is so good. Look at what they make you give. Everything, they make you give everything. And for what? Right. What did you get out of it? Loneliness. Just loneliness. It's not even like joining the military where you can be like, at least I have brotherhood and camaraderie. They literally have turned these people into not people. They're just weapons. He's yeah. got nothing. He's got nothing. God damn, Clive Owen.
0: He's a good actor. He's a really good actor. <laughs> Once again, we'll be talking about children of men one day. Okay. So we've learned that treadstone is a thing. Mm-hmm. That's an important piece of information.
1: Well, he's learned. Treadstone can find you wherever like I don't think at this point he thinks it would be sustainable to run away with her. So he has stolen Clive Owen's not stolen he's just taken Clive Owen's bag with all of his stuff in it and he sends Marie off with Eamon and the kids and he's like you gotta run I'm giving you all the money I took $30,000 out of it but here's the rest of the money run away go nowhere with anyone you have ever met before start a new life (laughs) you gotta get out of here and I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna end this one way or the other is his plan. So she goes and he takes the cell phone that was in Clive Owen's bag and he just star 69s and calls whoever he had been talking to last. And it's, it's friggin' Cooper. Treadstone, man. He gets Chris Cooper on the other end. He gets end. Chris Cooper directly on the line. I mean, who else is Clive Owen
0: talking to? No one. He's alone.
1: They're like, code in, code in, agent. <laughs> Jason's what like, this? Who is this? Who are you? And they're like, Jason, hi. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you. Any chance you want to turn yourself in? Yeah, what's um, going on? Why are you doing this? Because they don't yeah, have his and, amnesia. Because they don't know about it. They're like, he he's just completely gone rogue for no reason they can understand. And so then he's like, what about Marie? Talk to Marie. Maybe see what she thinks about this. And Jason's like, she's dead. She was slowing me down. <laughs> and you're like, OK, great. Good misdirect. So he sets up a meeting in Paris for that day. And he's like, come alone to the Pont Neuf and we'll talk.
0: Take off your coat on the bridge. Yeah. So we'll know it's you. Some classic spy
1: crafty stuff. Mm -hmm. And so he goes, obviously, Chris Cooper does not show up alone on the bridge. And so Jason puts a tracker on their van and he Mm -hmm. calls him and he's like, you didn't come alone. So fuck you. I'm off now.
0: (laughs) But also like... in Chris Cooper's interesting moves, now Jason knows exactly what he looks like.
1: <laughs> yeah. Why I he mean, he needs to do whatever he can to get him to come in, and he doesn't understand why he's acting the way he acts. So I guess he's like, well, if me going to the bridge will make him come, maybe. But he doesn't. So then we have led to this final climactic scene at the Paris safe house of the CIA, where they are tearing the whole thing down. They're, you know, mm-hmm. destroying all their documents and the computers and everything and they're going to shut down and get the hell out of there But Jason, who has now tracked their van there, knows exactly where they are. And so he uh, does a fun little thing where he makes all the car alarms go off and it distracts the guys who are guarding the front of the building. And then he climbs in behind them and he's done it. He's finally made it in face to face with Chris Cooper. I love, too, in that scene as he's breaking in,
0: Julia Stiles is like, our alarms are going off.
1: Oh, the dining room. Oh, the living room. And she's so confused. (laughs) And you're like, I (laughs) like her presence because... (laughs) She is the thing that proves that not everyone in this world is hyper competent. Right. <laughs> She's like very middling capabilities. Why are all of our alarms going
0: off? What could be happening?
1: What's going on? Yeah. She's having a whole audible journey about this. And then she finally is like, oh, it's born, isn't it? And Chris Cooper's just been standing there silently, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, Julia. <laughs> yeah, it's probably born. But anyway, he gets in. And he's like, I have you face-to-face, Cooper. You need to tell me everything about Treadstone. Who am I? Who are you? What have I done? Why am I like this? And Chris Cooper is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're coming here to yell at me. You're the one who fucked up my life. (laughs) You messed up your mission. You're (laughs) a malfunctioning weapon. Yeah. A malfunctioning $30 million weapon. And so he's like yelling at him about how he messed up the mission and didn't kill Wombosi. And... Jason starts to piece it together when he tells him exactly what happened, and he is finally remembering all of the things that happened, and he's like, oh, you sent me to kill Wambosi." and Cooper has just, like, a sick line where he's like, I didn't send you to kill Wambosi. I could send Nikki to do that, I send you to be invisible, I send you because you don't exist, and you're
0: like, oh, damn. Wow.
1: He's like, you planned the whole
0: thing. You're the one who chose the location. You're the one who told me the yacht. You're the one who scoped it out. What happened, soldier? And then he Mm -hmm. remembers.
1: He remembers what happened. He went to kill the guy. Everything went to plan until he goes into his room at night to kill him. And all of his kids are there sleeping in the same room with him. His little daughter is on his lap. She makes eye contact with him. He can't do it. (laughs) can't do it. can't do it. So he abandons the mission, his last little shred of humanity that they couldn't train out of him. And so he runs. And, uh, you know, everything leads up to now. And he's like, okay, I figured out who I am. I figured out who you are. I'm done with this. He tells Chris Cooper, I don't want to do this anymore. And Chris Cooper's like, I don't think that's a decision you can make. (laughs) And so he's like, all right, well, in the moment, I am making it. You're going to tell everyone that I died two weeks ago. There's no more Jason Bourne. You guys are going to stop chasing me. I demand it. Mm-hmm. And so Chris Cooper's sort of like, whatever. And he knocks Chris Cooper out. He starts to go out. It becomes apparent there are people. Well, not before he sees that Chris
0: Cooper's little radio, radio is thing. beeping a color. And he's like,
1: oh, like, I'm going to have to deal with this. Yeah. So, yeah, somebody's coming in the door. There's a fun little moment where he can see the little latch coming undone on the mm-hmm. door and so then we have like the final battle scene this guy comes yeah. in he beats him up of course and then uh, a couple of other people are coming up the yeah. stairs it's like a very cool stairwell scene yeah he takes the first
0: guy's gun and he has one gun right side up and one gun upside down oh. yes ow, love that and then yes he, he knocks out one guy at the top of the stairs who sort of crashes through part of the stairwell it's like a spiral It's the same guy. That's all the first guy. Okay. And another guy machine guns up and then he's running up the stairs and Jason's like, how do I get myself out of this? And he ends up kicking the guy's body through the stair rails. And in kind of the, like the most creative use of a human shield ever, he takes <laughs> the guy's body and he rides him down the center of the stairwell. And as he's passing the guy with the machine gun who's running up the stairwell, he shoots him right in the forehead. And then he uses the other guy's body to break his fall as he lands on the floor like five stories below. And it's yep. incredible.
1: <laughs> it is Probably like one of the sillier moments of this. Yeah, <laughs> in but that it's also don't like really awesome. believe that could happen. But it's also like instantly so memorable. <laughs> Everything about how it's shot, you're like, oh, that's gonna stick with me. Like we needed a big final set piece moment, and yeah. this is it. But it also kind of fucks him up. He definitely is very injured. Yeah, from he hurt himself. It's
0: even if you use a man to break your fall, falling down, five you still fall. Stories,
1: it still hurts. Yeah. So then we get our resolution here. He walks out of the building. He's taking care of these three guys. Cooper also is walking out of the building. And then we have our third other Treadstone guy who had been activated earlier in the movie. And we get our final awesome misdirect where Cooper and Jason Bourne are both walking down the dark streets in silhouette, Mm -hmm. stumbling around because they're both injured. And the Treadstone guy gets out of his car in the middle of the street, ready to... Take him out. You think he's coming for Jason Bourne, but he's not. He's coming for Chris Cooper, baby. Brian Cox has shut down the program. (laughs) Brian Cox is cleaning
0: up loose ends.
1: Uh Uh-huh. So Brian Cox, they, they kill Chris Cooper. Then Chris Cooper's assistant is still there, and Brian Cox is like, all right, shut it down. And they just, like, close all of Treadstone. And then we see him at a congressional hearing later about the budget, where he's like, yeah, Treadstone, we actually already shut it down. for a, It was a training thing, but for a purely theoretical exercise, it was yeah, not cost-effective. <laughs> Let me tell you about Blackbriar. <laughs> yep. And so the whole thing is just entirely washed under the rug with no effort at all. And it's over. And then... The final scene is Jason, however many months later it is, has finally found Marie living her life. And as I said, she's on a beautiful island. She's renting out scooters and he walks in and he's like, hey, can I rent a scooter? and she's she like, you're gonna need some ID she's like do you have ID and he's like not really and then <laughs> they together. hug and they're so happy to see each other and she's been using the red bag to hold her a bouquet of flowers at her store yeah yeah, <laughs> it's good they're so lovely it's great what a, great what a film what a it's film. so good <laughs> it is Such a good movie for all of the reasons we just told you, but also for other reasons outside of the movie. Yeah. It is an important work. I know you might not believe me. You might think, Born Identity, that old action movie? No, no. It's a pivot point. It's a pivot point for Hollywood, honestly. So uh, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about that too. I also want to talk about. Matt Damon. We absolutely have to talk about Matt Damon. It's a pivot point for America and a pivot point for Matt Damon's career. (laughs) What do you want to talk about first? (laughs) Well, I have that a little bit in my thing here, so we can talk about that within. And then if we still need to talk about it more, we can do it then. So I think the main different thing about this movie, the sort of overarching difference, is kind of one of tone and just the idea of leaning into realism in our action movies in a way that we hadn't done a lot of beforehand. So it's tied up with a lot of different things. The, the way that it's shot makes it feel like this. The content of it makes it feel like this. But also the reason that it stuck, I think, is a lot to do with the political moment in which mm-hmm. this film found itself. <laughs> so it's from a Robert Ludlum book from the 80s that's dealing with sort of Reagan-era cynicism about the american government which i once tried to read it did not go well <laughs> yeah i have never read any robert ludlum i don't know that it would be for me
0: it's very difficult to read fight scenes at least for me
1: ah uh, yes that makes sense can't you just skip over him and then they fought and I then probably he probably could have but i they're like long paragraphs of like his elbow connected with his sternum and then he doubled
0: over and his leg was over here and i'm like i can't really visualize any of this <laughs>
1: Yeah. Sure, buddy. Sounds cool. But anyway, as like an 80s Reagan Iran-Contra, like what's the government up to sort of tone, it certainly fits right in with early 2000s America, right? So we find ourselves in a place where we're post 9-11. The world feels a little bit different. We've got, as we already said in two episodes ago now at this point, <laughs> the Homeland Security Act is happening. We've got the Patriot Act going on. There's just sort of unlimited amounts of surveillance state that is, are going on in the government right now. And the idea of using them as a bad guy <laughs> feel, mm-hmm. in your movie feels kind of fresh and new and of the era. And so I learned that Doug Lyman's father was chief counsel in the Iran-Contra hearings, and he interrogated Oliver North. And so that Whoa. Conklin character is based off of Oliver North. <laughs> that is what this movie I did not know that about Dead about. Lyman. That's very interesting. Isn't that wild? And he'd apparently been trying to make this movie for his whole career. He made Swingers and got some initial success and was like immediately wanted to make born, and Mm -hmm. no one anywhere wanted to make this movie. I think they had done like an unsuccessful 90s television movie of it. Okay. And other than that everyone was like, no, 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 I don't think so. So we did finally piece the things together over a decade, and the movie was supposed to come out right around 9-11, but luckily he was in constant battle with the studio, and things got delayed, and then there were reshoots. A lot of shit happened with this movie. It's kind of amazing that it ended up happening. But they tried to do reshoots to make the intelligence operatives look less villainous just in case America only wanted to watch a nice happy movie about the American government. And luckily, Lyman won the fight about not using those scenes because that would have ended up feeling totally weird. This movie feels exactly right for the era. Yeah,
0: it would have muddled the film for sure. Yeah, I I think We read the same thing, but it was ultimately a good thing that it didn't get released in September 2001, because probably at the time, no one would have wanted to view the government as a villain. And then a year later, War in Afghanistan has started, all this Homeland Security Act were a little bit more like, oh, boy, why are we doing all of this?
1: Yeah, are we sure that we trust these guys to do what they're doing? I don't know. (laughs) Feels like they might be up to no good. And so this movie was very much like speaking to that mindset at the time. But Mm -hmm. kind of wild that it almost came out on like September 7th or something. It would have just been completely forgotten forever. No one would have ever
0: seen this Well, so many things flopped. I mean, not the same thing, but the reason Zoolander flopped is because it came out (laughs) like right before September 11th too and no one wanted to see a delightful comedy. It was too soon for comedy. It was too soon for comedy. And you're just like, well, I mean... So it's possible people would have come back to it, but
1: but it just it, it if they had changed it to make it more palatable for like oh that would have been nine eleven people it would have ruined a lot of the things about this movie because the the political tone of it is a huge part and then you do sort of see much as people try to emulate the style which we will talk about going forward you see little bits of like the government as the villain in some action movies, but not really to the extent that this movie and this series of movies do it. Occasionally, I think in the later Mission Impossibles, he'll be in conflict with the American government, but never really like (laughs) to any. (laughs) It's also like the thing
0: of, oh, it's someone inside the government corrupting. So you think about- It's a
1: rogue actor.
0: Right. Or like Winter Soldier, right? Like S.H.I.E.L.D. is infiltrated. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Whereas the the heart of this is, like, the corruption is the bureaucracy itself, right? Like, that is what has created these horrors. Well, it's just these regular guys who have gotten into these jobs, and they are no good. No. But the system isn't set up to help, like, try to root out bad actors. It's just to help it keep rolling along. The secrecy doesn't help no (laughs) the secrecy doesn't help because at the end of this movie there's no like comeuppance for anyone even if this were the end and jason got away and it was happy they brushed the whole thing under the rug and it's like okay they're definitely gonna keep
0: doing this in the first scene with brian cox and chris cooper brian cox is asking about the program chris cooper's like why are you asking me this you've never asked me anything about this before i had full attitude to do whatever i wanted and he's like well you didn't mess up before you never messed up before but the fact that he's just let this guy have this program where he's programming meant to be assassins
1: like all on his own with no supervision is troubling yeah but he also wants plausible deniability i think he wants distance from the program because if anything goes wrong he can be like oh well chris cooper he can be like treadstone was was an experiment and it didn't work let me tell you about blackbriar (laughs) and then the people funding the cia are just like okay great yeah (laughs) <laughs> so that is an interesting thing and it was felt very of the moment and then there's a lot of different stylistic things that have now become just the way we do action now mm-hmm. so i want to talk about the cinematography in this movie but but this full series of movies really so the this sort of heightening of the realism comes from the way that they shoot this Movie So there's a little bit of what we think of as like shaky cam in this one. It Mm -hmm. becomes a huge part of the second and third movies when Paul Greengrass takes over and Paul Greengrass came from documentary filmmaking. So there's kind of this element of like shooting fake things as if they are real, which reminded me of Costa Gaverson Z, Mm -hmm. like the idea of making something feel real by shooting it like it's really happening which right. is sort of what they do here though they didn't have the the cameras be part of the fight choreography training so when they come in and shoot they're just like okay f- stay with the action treat it like you are there and i think they said lyman w- didn't even have them read the script too
0: closely he was like on the day catch what you catch which again right. is very coast i think that's how they they did those scenes
1: sure and so then the just the idea of Moving away from how fight scenes are shot, traditionally you would sort of fight, uh, shoot a fight scene f- focusing on clarity. The idea of it would be to know what's going on. How do I know who's winning? How shooting, do I know it wide, who's- shooting it wide. Shooting it wide so that you can see the whole thing. And they moved entirely away from that away from clarity and towards just sort of like the feeling like you're there, right? So they're on close shots of things, they're doing quick cuts, they're making you feel like you're a part of the action as opposed to removed from it, which is very effective. <laughs> it it's works really well. It's immersive. You feel like you're in the fight. And so it's it's how it's shot. It's how the sound design works. It's all of those those things working together to make it feel at this point Unlike any fight scene that you had seen before, but now, yes. like most fight scenes that you see, I think we can also
0: talk about through this how, like, obviously, it's had a huge influence, I think, for better or for worse, to certain extents, because I think that style has also gone too far in a lot of cases where people will watch fight scenes and be like, I don't know where anyone is. Like, no, I can't no, make anything is heads- happening. It's like me reading the fight scene where I'm like, Yep, I don't, they, are they even in the same space? What's going on? So, you know.
1: Yeah. I think. A part of this whole conversation is this film has been hugely influential, for better or worse, yes. <laughs>
0: right? hundred percent.
1: There's lots of things that it has changed in a way that you wouldn't even notice, because that's just how things are done now. There are also things that have been certainly not handled as deftly as they were handled in these movies, but are, are influenced by these movies. And yeah, yeah the uh, the idea of fights you can't understand at all, <laughs> that certainly happens all the time now. Not ideal. This is not what we're, we're not saying that's good. <laughs> No, like, you certainly are watching these now where you're like, can I get an establishment shot or something? Like actually, what's wide? going on? <laughs> where even are we? Who is in the fight? Yeah. It's very unclear. <laughs> so, yes, uh, I don't want to, to say that the influence has been entirely positive. Right. But, yes, that, that idea of shaky cam, which I know... A lot of people had an issue with in the Greengrass versions. It's never been a problem for me, Mm -hmm. because he definitely takes it further. But even some viewers were like, it's already gone too far in the Greengrass movies. But just that, that, the cinematography contributing to realism all the time. Like, making this feel not like some silly fun action thing, but like a thing that really happened. It changes the experience of it. And part of that is the fight choreography. So... They just totally blew everyone's minds with the fights in these movies. It's kind of wild to look over time at how fight choreography has changed. Because then you'll go back and look at much older stuff. And there are like breakthroughs as you go along. You'll go watch the original Star Trek, right? And how they fought in those shows, which is just like... Well, we watched Dr. No, right?
0: And that had some really revolutionary, both cutting and fight techniques. Famously, exactly. the first film with any kung fu in it in the States was the Manchurian Candidate and Frank Sinatra was in that fight.
1: Hell yeah. Famously. Um, but that's like of a similar era, right? Like you yeah. can look at Dr. No and you can look at Star Trek happening in the same decade. And what people would expect from watching fights. And then you watch Dr. No and you're like, oh, this feels much more realistic than what you see in Star Trek. They're making changes. And then we're huge fans of Starsky and Hutch. So you look at like things that have changed for the fighting in a Starsky and Hutch era show. That still, to our eyes, feels like lots of silly, not realistic things happen. But compared to the decade previously, already feels like... We're making great strides yeah. towards towards fighting realism. And so then to get to a place with this where I feel like now people think this is how fighting in movies just is. They, they focused on these specific martial arts disciplines, Kali and Krav Maga, that are about conserving momentum and using your enemy's momentum against them. I feel like those sort of things we see people do all the time now... Where they'll put their legs around the neck of someone and then swing them down to the ground. I feel like that's a move I see in fight movies constantly. Yeah, but
0: that's also like a professional wrestling move that's been in existence for a long time.
1: <laughs> sure. Yes, that's true. But just the the style of the way that the people fight has influenced yeah. how people fight in things now. And then the idea of what we talked about in like the scene with the pen that get that gets amplified in the later movies of using what's around you and when we we get to ultimatum and talk about that toaster like the toaster scene is just incredible that is like the the pen scene graduated from college and became the toaster scene (laughs) but just that sort of we're in a close space with each other we're we're using whatever is available to us it doesn't feel like someone planned this fight it feels like this fight came about because of where we are yeah
0: it's interesting to think though that that probably is also borrowing from martial arts movie because like the thing that Mm -hmm. makes me think of immediately is jackie chan and how creative his fight scenes are and how much they use the world
1: it's it's martial arts that they were using as their fighting style right so it it, this is new for hollywood it's a western change yeah and so just the that is a huge change for everyone. These stunt choreographers all went on to have very successful careers <laughs> and work on all sorts of other things that people have seen. So stylistically, yeah, it's had a huge effect on all sorts of action movies mm-hmm. these days. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about character, which I think we can use to also talk about Matt Damon. So I've often heard Jason Bourne referred to as the thinking man's action hero so all of the things that we talked about that are things you'd never seen an action hero do before with the maps and the planning and the thinking about this and thinking about that the idea that he's not just like really good at fighting and so the fighting just happens <laughs> like he's planning all of his
0: moves he's much more grounded new. although I think there probably was already a trend of that cuz it's a little John McClane
1: Yeah I think there are John McClane is like an early version of that in an era of very silly action movies. Die Hard feels
0: much, though it more has grounded. much.
1: It feels much more grounded, though it also has lots of silly scenes. But like the character of John McClane feels super grounded for the era because mm-hmm. '80s is like wildly heightened <laughs> action. Which, again, movies. Again, to be
0: fair, we're not criticizing that.
1: I love no. That. Every era has its place. There are great action movies in all eras. But there's that. There's the thinking, which you're right, is kind of reminiscent of John McClane. And then I think there is an interesting thing to this character that I see in lots of action stuff now about him getting hurt. He gets hurt a lot. And yeah. that... Also a of John McClane. Yeah, he gets hurt. Well, the f- no shoes. What are you thinking, John McClane? I on the plane told him to take off his shoes.
0: <laughs> Never take off your shoes. And always change your socks.
1: Oh, I mean, I don't know how much people know about the Korean War, but always change your socks. Don't take off
0: your shoes. Always change your socks.
1: <laughs> and never let your socks get wet. No. Anyway, advice for everyone. But he gets hurt, especially at the end of this one. But mm-hmm. as you move through this series, like, he takes a beating as these movies go on. Again. He gets...
0: We'll talk in, I think, what is it, this ultimatum, that car in Russia? The car chasing scene
1: in Russia? Yes. The Russian oh. car chase scene is exactly what oh I'm thinking God. of. <laughs> But he he gets fucked up. And I feel like this is uh, a way that lots of movies were influenced. And I think specifically, I think about Daniel Craig's James Bond, who gets hurt a lot in a series when you don't often see James Bond get hurt. But it happens in lots of things. I think people all of a sudden, everyone was like, oh, maybe viewers don't think it's realistic if this person is constantly in gun battles and is completely unscathed every
0: time. And this guy gets punched in the face 500 times, but he's cool
1: (laughs) he's fine it's all good he's an action star you can't be hurt you don't get hurt but yes i want to talk about matt damon me too how did he end up in this movie nobody saw it coming the casting was wild
0: he was not an action star no one would have been like who should we cast in an action movie
1: the guy from goodwill hunting (laughs) Yeah, he had only been in prestige dramas. It's <laughs> like all Jay, or all Matt Damon was known for. So, it obviously had a huge effect on his career, but I think it also contributes to the effectiveness of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, he's a great actor. Right. We've talked
0: about it before. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, he's not like he's a not a great, great
1: actor. actor not like
0: an Academy Award
1: winning actor, you know? (laughs) Well, Matt Damon's not an Academy Award winning actor He's either. He's an Academy Award winning writer.
0: Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is not an Academy Award winning writer. Although Sylvester Stallone
1: might be. I think he is for Rocky, right? Wow, it's very confusing. It's a wild world. But Matt Damon is not an action forward person at this point. He is an acting and like... Being a sensitive, smart guy person forward, right? I think smart guy is really his
0: persona between Goodwill Hunting and like Talented Mr. Ripley. Smart yeah, smart
1: guy. He plays smart guy, not necessarily strong guy. <laughs> and so they've taken this guy that at the time people were like, Are, "Is anyone even going to believe him in this role?" Like, I don't know about that. And it transforms the genre it's kind of incredible you absolutely believe him as strong guy but the fact that he is smart guy is changing your entire conception of (laughs) this character right you're like there's so much going on in his mind well again (laughs) i go back to that initial bench scene where we're just close up on his face as he's
0: very quickly processing everything and clicking on and you're just like your face is so good right now your acting is so good all in your face
1: and I think that's part of what contributes to... All of the things that are contributing to it, but part of what contributes to the realism of the movie is they went with tons of great actors. The quality of the actors in this movie is remarkable. You've got... not Matt Damon's not the only Academy Award winner nominee in here. That's so, <laughs> so yeah. So you're, they've, they've given you a world full of people that are extremely believable just because they're very good actors, which obviously that's not a problem but it they are intentional about leaning into the non-action tone of it the action cuts in but that's not really what's going on what's going on in this movie is this emotional through line of a guy who doesn't know who he is and wants to find out and then the action occasionally shows up yes (laughs) so yeah i think you see that in lots of different action characters now it's like well what's what's he going through emotionally well, I think I think
0: Bond is a really great counterpoint to this movie because prior to this, the Bond movies had gotten so ridiculous. The last Brosnan Bond is very bad. That is the one where he has an invisible car. That is the one with a guy who has diamonds that are embedded in his face that won't come out for some reason. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. And then to even see, as much as I don't personally love Daniel Craig as Bond, I think yes. he's more of an actor than like mm-hmm. Pierce Brosnan. And sure. a, you know a number of the previous bonds, so they they go this route of this very serious actor for the role. Yeah,
1: the thinking man's Bond, right? Yeah. Like they're like, how can we get somebody who's like an actor? We can give some gravitas and weight to this character, right. and they definitely lean into whether or not it works for you. <laughs> but they I like lean Daniel into Craig like, as an actor generally, just not as Bond. Well, I get it.
0: you're very close. This is this is like the negative. I think eventually the impact of. Born, and maybe more so on the serialization of films has a negative mm-hmm. impact on Bond long term. But sure, it's a different but, conversation. Uh,
1: yes. For the we're just talking about impact not on positive negative for the yes. moment, but they they're very intentional in the Bond Craig Bond series about leaning into the emotional weight of the character and the backstory mm-hmm. and, like, what's going on with him? Why does he act this way? Will he change? Like, <laughs> there's tons of right. stuff going on And They give him that. a much more grounded romance. In Casino Royale, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and you see that change in not just the Bond series. Like the Mission Impossible series, 1 and 2 had come out before this. 2 is the John Woo directed one that's like totally absurd and hilariously 90s. Mm-hmm. And then they wait until 2006 for the third one and the tone of the Mission Impossible's changes a lot too cuz it's like we're in a different era. People aren't going to buy 2006. Yeah. Wow. There's a gap.
0: Huh. I haven't seen that one. That's the JJ Abrams one.
1: Mhm. You hate JJ Abrams, so I'm not going to recommend it to you. Ew. I started watching it four. Four is very good, and onward. Four is four. Good. On is good. Four and onward are excellent. Yeah. One and two, uneven. It's okay. It's okay. Two is silly. Yeah, well, <laughs> John Woo has a John style. Wood, he definitely has a style. And it it's feels dubs. of its era. His style is doves. That's exactly how I would describe it. Okay, so speaking of the romance from Bond, I think the romance in this movie is a part of what makes it feel different mm-hmm. from a lot of action movies beforehand. And speaking again of Bond, the way that like women in action movies have traditionally been not characters, I guess I will say. Yeah. And so the idea of him meeting this woman and their power dynamics really interesting when he meets her, he needs her help. She's not like some woman that he saves from danger. He's like, ah, please, will anyone take me to Paris? Can you help me? And so it just is this more believable romance dynamic between the two of them that others have tried to emulate with some amounts of success. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: she's also not a woman that he kidnaps against her will and then she still falls in love with him. Like we mentioned, they check in regularly to be like, you still want to be here? Yeah, okay, good.
1: Yeah, like how are we feeling about our situation right now? She definitely initiates the sex. So, that's for sure that is for sure. um, but he constantly is being like, "Are you sure you want to come like this seems like a bad situation. Are you sure you don't don't want to turn yourself in? Go to the police. You probably shouldn't come with me this This sucks. Mm-hmm. um so, yeah, I think that is a part of what the the many, many pieces that lead to this feeling different and grounded and and real in a fun way. So I just want to say we've mentioned some of them already. There's a long series of action movies that are influenced by this that you can feel a change in. I want to start with Nolan's Batman. Can we talk about a grounded superhero series coming out in 2005? Which, that's another one where it feels like there's a bright dividing line between how comic book movies were before. the
0: previous Batman movie and this Batman movie. They're a little different. Exactly,
1: They're all a little different. And then we have, yeah, the change in... Bond with Daniel Craig's Bond starting in 2006. The shift in Mission Impossible from 2 to 3 with 3 in 2006. We have the Taken series Mm. in 2008 beginning. We even have John Wick in 2014. I think there's a lot of attempts to give people backstories (laughs) in a way you weren't always trying to do before. And take anything that hasn't always been treated as grounded and be like, what if we tried to make it grounded? A grounded version
0: Even though we said earlier, right, they don't make the government the villains, there's a lot more political subplot to a lot of these movies, internal political subplot than there was before. Even like, again, Nolan's Batman is all about like, how are they managing the city? What about the sewer system? And you're like, okay.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is all about that, isn't it? That's hilarious. (laughs) The local government and how's the money getting divided up? And you're like, this isn't a Batman movie. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, you can feel its influence. I honestly think this is part of the contribution to Hollywood's obsession with gritty reboots these days. Yeah. I think it has... has it's contributed. gotten a little
0: excessive also, but...
1: I would call the gritty reboot thing a negative impact of this movie. But everything everything now is like, what if we did grounded dark version? A thing that already exists, but grounded and dark. <laughs> Like Powerpuff Girls is getting grounded in dark now. I don't need that.
0: I don't need it all to be grounded. Some things could still be silly. Silly, fun, light. That stuff can still exist. And it's come Um, back a little bit. God knows those Fast and Furious movies are absolute nonsense they,
1: those have never gotten grounded no i appreciate that about well they them. got
0: good when they stopped being grounded when it was a story about street racers stealing vcrs you're like okay whatever but when it became oh, yeah, a story of street racers this? doing a huge heist in brazil you were like this rules i just want
1: cars going to space you know yeah. that's all i want and they do <laughs> they do so so that i think is the influence of it but i also want to say that it it's kind of an accidental influence, too. Like, this is a movie where it is remarkable that it came together at all. I have heard this movie described as being saved in the edit. <laughs> I know a lot of people had issues with Doug Lyman. There were lots of reshoots. They went over budget. Things were disorganized. The The studio, I think, insisted on Tony Gilroy writing it if they were going to let Doug Lyman direct it. And then Gilroy was, like, writing it as it went and he wasn't with the production and... It was there was like trouble, (laughs) trouble all around with this movie. I have Matt Damon talking about what a surprise it was that this movie worked out. He said, the word on Born was that it was supposed to be a turkey. It's very rare that a movie comes out a year late, has four rounds of reshoots, and it's good. It does seem like It was good. It was good. It changed action movies and it completely changed Matt Damon's career, who this is now is a character he will forever be known for. Yeah. This is his big franchise. Yeah. It's crazy. What a movie. <laughs> I love it.
0: I think, you know, we probably will revisit the other Borns. I don't know that we'll do a full hour and a no, half on those. We don't have to do
1: that, but but we will watch them. I there's mean, not a there's not a year of uh Born Supremacy or Ultimatum where we would not watch it.
0: You heard us. We got to talk, talk about, about the toaster movie. scene. We got to talk about the Russian car chase. We got to talk about the time that we Jason We didn't even
1: mention the jumping through I the was window just thing. say that.
0: The time Jason jumps <laughs> through a window and a cameraman jumps right after him
1: talk about changing movies oh my god
0: (laughs) we'll talk about it but this one needs particular and special attention and
1: it all works it all works it's fucking great it's Mm underappreciated this might be my favorite trilogy wow Hmm.
0: since there's only three movies
1: there are only three movies Don't come to us with corrections. We're correct. There are only three Jason Bourne movies. So where does this leave us? The Oscars uh, said they get it wrong. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, we both said yes and no's to various other films. I think even Chicago is not my favorite of the five we actually put into the bracket. So, you know, they got it wrong. I think it's a solidly made film. I just don't know... That it's an all-timer.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Plus, none of that other crap we talked about should have won when *The Born Identity* exists. Although
0: I do love a lot of it. So,
1: that being yeah, said, there were good movies.
0: If you could only have five nominees,
1: what would your five nominees be? Okay, I think my five nominees would be *Born*, sure. <laughs> Catch me if you can. Yeah. I'm putting *Big Fat Greek Wedding* in there. Gotcha. Maybe I'll leave *Chicago* because it feels like of the moment. Okay. And. I'm putting in Itu Mama Tambien. Nice. Those are my five. Okay. So my top five of the 11 that we've watched.
0: <laughs> what are your five? I go with Spirited Away, Catch Me If You Can, Two Towers, and Itu Mama Tambien, which was basically our list from the second half of our bracket, subbing out Chicago for The Born Identity. So, clean. You know, not a great showing from our nominees again.
1: Yeah. Although, yeah. the winner made it to the second round, which I feel good it's about. It's very unusual. Okay. So, we do have to still visit Jake Hall Corner. He was alive this year. Or was. He was a, a professional actor this year. Yeah. He was making movies. Not just one, not just two, but three movies He's a young man. this year. He's a young man. I have only seen one of these movies. I believe you have seen none of these movies. Correct. And I don't think we're making an argument that he should have been nominated this year, unfortunately. The three movies were The Good Girl, Highway, and Moonlight Mile. The Good Girl is one of his multiple movies about a misunderstood teenager who romances an older woman. Nice. (laughs) And I remember him being good in it, but I don't think we need to do that. They're not his more memorable performances. All right. So sorry, Jake. No Oscar noms for you.
0: But that brings us to one of our other guys. time to revisit mm-hmm. our Spielberg Oscars count, where we see, Hell yeah. should he have been nominated? Should he have won? We've got mm. two categories we can always put a Steven Spielberg in, Best Director and Best Picture. I think we both put Catch Me If You Can in our top five, so I'm feeling like yep. he should get so nominated. It's a nominee in our book for Best Picture. The question is, does he get a director nom this year?
1: Well... I think we both agree that the director who won should not have won. Yes.
0: So Nick's one guy.
1: <laughs> Nick's Roman Polanski. Happy for him to be nominated, at least, for Catch Me If You Can. The question becomes, who should have won this year? What is the the directorial achievement of the year?
0: I mean, I like Peter Lord Jack, of the Rings but... is
1: what you're thinking? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in theory, I have no problem with that. I understand that as a directorial achievement it's a huge production i probably would pick spielberg over him because i think the movie is so emotionally effective and the set pieces are so great but if you want jackson i get it i mean if spielberg
0: is your number one i don't mind giving steven more oscars
1: (laughs) i could never say no to giving steven more Oscars. and again like i said it's one of these years
0: where he gave us two things i know he only gets nominated for one but he's But you're sort of giving it to him for both. Giving us a lot. And again, he just, that scene when Tom Hanks comes into the bedroom and the camera swoops around, Shadow, Hanks in mirror, Amy Adams against the door, I'm just like, ooh, you didn't have to do that, (laughs) Stephen, but you did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he did. It's a cool looking movie, I think, in addition to being...
0: It's a very successful period piece, which is always its own thing of like, do you feel like you're in the era? And yes, I didn't mention Mm -hmm. it, but I love the opening, the cartoon opening credits, the style of that.
1: Yes. It's great. Those are very cool. They do lots of fun things to set you in the era. Mm -hmm. The very beginning of the movie is him on To Tell the Truth as himself, right, in the 70s. So there's fun, there's fun period era things. Okay. I think we're giving Steven two nominations and one win. Hell yeah. Add to that tally, Steven. Love you, Steven. Okay. Conclusions. Do you see yourself coming back to any of these movies? No. Never. Never. Never to revisit a single one of these
0: films. Yeah. So again, Spirited Away, Catch Me If You Can, Two Towers, Born Identity. I could rewatch E2 Mama Tambien. I really enjoyed it. It's really good. I mean, I could probably rewatch Chicago too. It's fun. It's like light and fun and quick.
1: Got no problem with Chicago. I can always rewatch a good musical because you're just there to like sing along. And I could rewatch my Big Fat Greek Wedding. That's also fun and light and easy. Hell yeah. I mean, I'm watching all the light stuff again too, obviously. (laughs) And I will be rewatching The Born Identity for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What have we learned? Well, they thought the movie musical was back.
0: (laughs) But really, action filmmaking was changing forever. They didn't quite understand the
1: impacts of any of these (laughs) films. <laughs> Board Identity was nominated for zero Oscars. Yeah. Like even in technical categories. What are we
0: doing? Not even sound. I didn't mention it, but the scene on the bench when he grabs the baton, there's this little like hollow sound between again his face and then the the sound design of him when he grabs the baton. It's just
1: Yeah. The sound the, the sound design is is awesome in this. It's a big and the soundtrack. Yeah. They're big parts of what keep you in the moments with him when all that stuff happens. I love the the score in the scene in the apartment when he starts mm. to get like nervous that someone is coming and there's this it almost sound it's this hollow metal sound that's reminiscent of like you dropped a pan in the kitchen or something and it's (laughs) you know circling on the ground like there's this interesting noise that is very nerve-wracking
0: yeah not a single nominee really did not understand cultural impact this year the academy Mm -mm. they did a bad Mm -mm. job
1: all right so let's look at our patterns do we have any angry white guys bangs of new york yeah they're pretty angry Oh, I didn't even talk about this in our conversation about Gangs of New York. I think it's so interesting, the final scene of them killing each other. Like, he's given this him this speech about how the only man he ever respected was the dad that he killed, right? And, like, what a huge journey it was for him to get to kill this man who was such a big impact on him. And it's like, okay, you love him. And then <laughs> they have the final scene where he kills him, and they, like, hold hands at the end. And I'm like, men will murder each other to be able to hold hands. <laughs> yeah. Like, they are so tragically, toxically masculine in that movie. It's, it's awful. I mean, they're not angry, but the
0: the boys in Itu Mama Tambien do not overcome masculinity.
1: No. No, they do not.
0: And the masculinity and talk to her is also
1: bad. Yeah, that's pretty bad. It's not necessarily angry, but it's bad. It's bad. That seems like all of them. Yeah. All righty. Biopics. *Just the pianist? just the pianist and then there are shockingly no original ideas this year in the nominees Gangs of New York, The Hours, Lord of the Rings and The Pianist are all based on books and Chicago is based on a musical based on a play yeah, adaptations wild, all around okay, shall we rank our best best pictures, alright, where are we slotting in Chicago exciting times we like it, what are your initial instincts we did like it um Mm. I mean, the thing that's calling out to me yeah. is the King's Speech, oh, which feels like a sort of solid, well-made, very pleasant, but not revolutionary film. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that.
0: You put Chicago above the King's Speech or below the King's Speech?
1: I mean, I think probably the musical numbers tip it over for me. I agree with that.
0: All right. That makes Chicago our new... Number 13. Hell yeah. Lucky number 13. Okay. What are we talking about next time? Next time we were talking about the 30th Academy Awards or the films of 1957. The nominees that year were 12 Angry Men, The Bridge on the River Kwai, Peyton Place, Sayonara, and Witness for the Prosecution. Which of these have you seen?
1: Wow. Just 12 Angry Men.
0: Same only 12 angry men
1: all right well i did love 12 angry men so hopefully all these other movies will be just as good we can help (laughs) we can help in the meantime if you have comments questions and concerns you can reach us at oscarswrongpod at gmail.com and on twitter instagram and Letterboxed at oscarswrongpod check out our website oscarswrongpod.com If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend, leave us a review, and subscribe. New episodes come out every other Friday at 6 o'clock Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts.